Hey folks, welcome back to the Uticast. This is episode number 57, and today we're talking to my very good friend, filmmaker, and secret weapon of Made in Utica, Tom Knudsen, uh, whose name I always pronounce incorrectly, so I think that was correct. Uh, but before we get into this week's, ah, this week's episode, let's talk about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the Adirondack Scenic Railroad. If you're looking for something different to do, why don't you go to AdirondackRR.com and check out all of the wonderful packages they have available to ride the Adirondack Railroad. The new beer and wine train will be coming up on Friday, August 12th. That's less than a month away, folks. It's a great way to spend a Friday night. Adirondack Scenic Railroad. It's more than just a train ride. All right, let's get into this week's show with Thomas Knudsen. Again, probably said it wrong. delicious seltzer and I am sunburned and it hurts my body is hurting from the sunburn Kev every week last week you were sick this week you're burned I'm falling what's apart what's it gonna be next week I'm falling apart man uh welcome back co-host producer Kevin Sullivan another episode man hell yeah here we are it's it's so hot Really? I'm not feeling it. Is it, it so. extra hot in here, or what's going on? The studio is always hot. I guess. It's Probably always... because of all the scathing hot takes. <laughs> the burning, fiery hot takes. No, um, so let me, uh, let me start here. We'll preface with why I'm so sunburned and miserable and complaining about it. Uh, I went to uh, a local treasure, and I'm not being sarcastic when I say that. I went to the Enchanted Forest Water Safari. Where the fun stops at 6. Where the fun stops uh Promptly at 6 p.m. <laughs> Promptly at 6 p.m. Uh, so I went up to the Enchanted Forest Water Safari with my two sisters and my four nieces and nephews and my mom and my stepfather. Uh, that sounds a little bit like torture. It does sound like torture until you realize that my aunt and her children and their children and then my other aunt and her children and their children also came. So it was a total of 22 individuals. Oh, my God. Uh, with... Eight of them being under the age of thirteen. Ouch! It was uh, no look. It was fun, man. Look, I, I'll I'll say this. Um, one, they all had their parents there. So for me, on my end, as a True. single man with no kids, I was having the time of my life. Uh, but we did the whole water safari experience, and I had a lot of strange takes about it. Um, first off, I can't go on dry land rides anymore, like Tilt-A-Whirls and Scramblers. I've reached my age limit where something, a ride like that, makes me very sick very quickly. Really? Something about, like, I can go on any roller coaster. I can go on, like, a Disney ride or, like, a, a, any ride that, like, takes you from point A to point B, right? But something about going in a circle for 45 seconds makes me sicker somehow than going down a, 
a hill of a roller coaster. I think we should do a Uticast video where we test out that theory and take you to summer carnivals and put you on raw, like just feed you full of like carny midway food and then put you on oh. some of these rides and the, see how long it takes. The worst one I've ever seen is at Sylvan Beach. It's that the bomber ride where it just goes up and like it's like a Ferris wheel except the the cockpit spins in the other direction. It's basically like you're dive bombing in an airplane and it's just sure. It's the worst. Oh my god. Sounds like it. It's called the bomber. It's pretty terrible. But Chain of Forest Water Safari. Uh, ever since I was a kid, we've been kind of going up to Old Forge at least once a summer to do this. Right. And I'm still kind of into it. I still like it a lot. And I think, uh, and I think this ties in a little bit because it is uh, it was Hall of Fame weekend this last weekend. So I met a lot of people at the restaurant coming in, uh, going to Cooperstown who'd never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame before. Mm-hmm. And I always think about the Baseball Hall of Fame in this way. I grew up in this area. It was very close to go to Cooperstown. My dad was a big baseball fan. I was a big Yankees fan. I've been to the Baseball Hall of Fame so many times, like, the mystique is gone. It's just like, oh, we're going back to the Hall of Fame? Great, I can look at the plaques again. Do you know what I mean? Right. But for people who took, like, a pilgrimage from across the country to see Ken Griffey Jr. and Mike Piazza, Baseball Hall of Fame means something a little bit bigger. Now, not exactly on the same level. It is a water park in the woods. Uh <laughs> But I think I sort of take for granted that the water safari exists as, like, this weird little destination that's kind of out of nowhere. But it's actually pretty expansive, and they've been building a lot of stuff, and it's still really nice. Like, my nephews and nieces loved it. They had a great time. I think I don't think I've been to water safari in, like, probably ten years, I would say. Really? Maybe, you know what, maybe, yeah, close. Eight, at least, you know what I mean? Eight to ten, somewhere in there. It's been a long time, but I, I see that they keep building and expanding, Good for them. I mean, I think growing up, I used to go up there a ton when I was a kid, too. And I think you do take for granted the fact that you've got, like, this banging water park 40 minutes away. Like, when you're, because when you're a kid, you don't know anybody. You think the whole world revolves around just your own little, like, perspective in the world. So it blows my mind that everybody doesn't have, like, a water park that they can just go to. Because water park isn't a super common thing. See, I I was just going to say, I feel like... Water parks, miscellaneous small-time water parks, are actually sort of hidden all across the United States. Like, when I've been on enough road trips in enough weird spots like Maine and, like, North Carolina and Virginia and up and down the East Coast and through the Midwest, where you find these miscellaneous with your indoor water parks, which you see a lot in the Midwest. We saw that when we were out in, I want to say DeKalb, there was the indoor Somewhere, water park. Somewhere, yeah, I yeah, remember yeah. that. Um, but a lot of them I've been to are much, in much less... Nice standing than the Enchanted Forest Water Safari. Some I feel of like them, it's easy for a water park to go bad pretty it, quickly. Yeah, it's there's a fine line. Uh, we talked about it last week on the show. There's a there's a great place right right before the wheels come off that you have to exist as a business to be profitable. Mm-hmm. Water Safari lands in that space very nicely. Uh, some of these places do not. It seems like uh, I, I will say though, that was my biggest my biggest issue with the entire park when I'm on the Tilt a Whirl or I'm on like a land ride. All I can think about is when's the last time this ride has been serviced? I feel like I'm going to fall out of this ride. I feel Yeah, but I feel like you would have to imagine it was recently, if for nothing else, that in order to operate a park like that, sure, you probably insurance. have a very comprehensive insurance yeah. policy that's predicated on you keeping everything maintained and inspected. And, you know, of course, maybe some things might slip through the cracks in different parks around the world, but I feel like chances are you'll probably be all right. Some of those rides you wouldn't even get that hurt on if something malfunctioned. Some of them you'd be dead. Sure. Sure. Uh, I feel like the Roundup is a terrifying ride to me. Of course, I don't think nothing would happen to you, unless you got stuck at the top, I suppose. Well, it depends what happened to the ride. 
It depends what kind of what kind of malfunction you had. That's why I like the bumper cars. I feel like at the end of the day, bumper cars. The best. I would love to. I wish they would make a bumper car thing the size of like half a football field. Oh man! Give those things a little bit of juice. Give you a helmet and like really get cranking out there. Is bumper car the upper level uh, carnival ride or like amusement park ride? In terms of like the, no, I'm not talking roller coasters or big like Six Flags Disney yeah, yeah, rides, like carny rides, carny rides. Yeah, I feel like bumper cars is, it has the highest ceiling. But I've also been on some terrible bumper cars. Well, yeah, there, I mean, you need you need the size. You have yeah. to have a bunch of area to get around. Um, the nice thing about bumper cars, they give you autonomy over where you're gonna go. Mm-hmm. Any other ride, you hop in it and you're just on it. And it takes you on the track or the course or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. The bumper car, you're free man. You're out there to wreak yeah, whatever true. kind of havoc you want to wreak. You know what I mean? Um, I want to get off the dry rides, though, because really the attraction at the water safari is the water rides. As a kid, I was not a good swimmer, so I didn't really like water rides. And even now, I'm kind of particular about going on water rides. Like, the the big ride at the Enchanted Forest, if you've never been there, folks, is the Kilimanjaro. It's like the tall... You, there's no no tube. There's no thing. You just, I don't think that counts as the big ride. It's the tallest ride. Eh, maybe, but I think that uh, Wild Waters. What's that one right up in front? The Raging one you can Rapids? see from the road. No, no. Raging Rapids is different. Oh, the Raging sh- Rapids is pound for pound the best ride at the park that I remember from being a kid. But the one where you can pick the American side or the Canadian side. Yes. I think it's uh, it's called. They changed the name of it. It's called the Shadow now. Oh, ew, really? Yeah, you can't no. change well, the name. Well, because they of changed that. the colors. It's like now it's like a darker tube when you go whatever. I will say. Uh, for anyone who has been to the Enchanted Forest, though, I'm going to say that the two new water tube rides they built in what's called the Adirondack Exploration Section, there's called the Black River and the Rondacks Run, those are worth the price of admission. I remember those. Last time I was there, they had those there. They were both really cool. I saw a video on the internet. Uh, we we got, It all blends together on the internet. I'm not yeah. sure when I saw it. I saw a video on the internet, like, we'll say a couple weeks ago, of some water slide somewhere and it was similar to one of these water slides where it's like a full tunnel where you're going around and making turns and dips and dives. Mm. But they had built like all these different crazy LED lights into it and mm. like patterns so it looked like you were like plummeting through a wormhole in space with like all this different stuff happening. It looked really crazy. They should get some of that going on up there at Waters Fire Enchanted Forest. It's already trippy enough in there if you go through all the Enchanted Forest section with all the weird 70s decorated like fairy tale. That's the... That's the weirdest part and also the coolest part for me is that original part where it's just live recreations of fairy tale houses and stories. And my nieces and nephews are openly terrified of them because they're all made in the 70s and they're really weird looking. Really scary, yeah. Well, I have a, I don't have any kids, so I can't say for sure, but how well does all that stuff hold up? Like, do kids today know about... Paul Bunyan and Alibaba and the um, Crooked Man and the Crooked House. They dig it. My niece, yeah, my niece and nephew like it. Do they know what it is, though? Only from Enchanted Forest, it seems like. That's what's crazy, because you know I, I mean? remember when I was a kid, you would go there and you'd see all the different, like, classic, like, Grimm's Fairy Tales type mm-hmm. setups, because they're all, like, little fairy tale houses, a little yeah. village or whatever. And I knew those from having the stories read to me or reading the stories or whatever when I was a kid. But when you think about it, as time goes on, I don't know if kids are getting those stories the same way that we used to. But if you're Enchanted Forest, there's nothing you can really do because the only stuff that kids know now is things that they can't afford to license. You know what I mean? Like, they're certainly not going to make, like, you know, Pixar Park in there or something like that. They don't have that kind of money. If they turned it into the uh, Pokemon Forest Water Safari, it would be the hottest attraction in America. Yeah, for, like, the next month. And then everybody would forget about Pokemon again. Uh, What's the, what do you, so what was the best part of Water Safari? What's the most underrated part of Water Safari for you when you were there? 
Uh, I'm a big fan of the Lazy River. I like a Lazy, Lazy River. Lazy River is great. Tight. I will say it was a little disappointing, though, because the park was so packed that you were only allowed one rotation, and you had to get out and uh, get in line for I've a two I've been there day. when it's like that before. No good. That's why, well, here's one of the pro, I mean, pro tip if you're going there. You've got to pay to rent your own tube. Yes. Don't be okay. out there with the unwashed masses getting in line waiting for community tubes. Go rent your own tube. Yeah, well, I should have done it. It was a smart call. Uh, I didn't do it because I was like, "Least suckers, there's always tubes." No, they still have a petting zoo out there. God, I don't really like petting zoos, man. I was in there for you know why? Because it's gross. They're gross animals. Like if you get a, we're all gross animals. If you get a, you're a gross animal. It's true, but I don't (laughs) tend to get fed out of larger animals' hands in public. And it's like there's something like you go out there. And you take the, the feed in your hand. You put the 50 cents in the machine. You pour the goat feed in your hand. And I gave some for the kids. And then I had an extra 50 cents. I'm like, all right, boom. I'm going to get some goats here, right? And, like, what happens is you feed the first goat, the big aggressive goat who's overpowered the rest of the goats who are right. smaller than him. And then that jerk goat follows you around for, like, 30 seconds. And you're like, no, I fed you already. Get away from me, jerk goat. And then the other smaller, cuter goats are like, oh, I want some. And then you go over, and then Jerk Goat butts you out of the way. Jerk Goat is, like, this close to being, like, a dish at a Caribbean restaurant? Jerk Goat, yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, Yeah, so I had... And then your hands are gross with goat saliva and disgusting goat, like, whatever. It's nasty. No, I'm not a fan of petting zoos. Interesting. No. Anything that gives me access to the animals is is okay in my book. If I could pet something different, maybe... How about a pig? What are the pig? I guess pigs are aggressive, right? Yeah, no, pig will, pig will bite your hand right off. That's true. You ever see Snatch? They feed people to pigs. Bricktop has pigs in that movie. They feed people to them. Also in Hannibal, they fed people to pigs. They did. Yeah. They did. I think yeah. that, that might have been Red Dragon. They all run together for me. Exactly. See, you got to read the books. Know, the books are actually really good. I have all the books. You should read them during the next segment out loud to the listeners. That would be, I think that's the plan. That would be very unsettling. Let's uh, let's take a break. We'll get into the next segment uh, with Cliff Montoni in just a moment. Upstairs just now to um, to talk to you about doing the show. You were definitely scoping out Apple Watches on the internet. So hot take: Are you or are you not purchasing an Apple Watch? Yeah, right after I buy my Mercedes. Oh, yeah. no. Yep. At, yeah. Least, at least a Mercedes has a function in the real world. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. I feel yeah. like <clears throat> any of these like smart watches. I don't get it, man. I really don't. I, really, I pay really close really attention to my heart rate, gentlemen. I'm so get very, a Fitbit. That's not an excuse. Fitbit is actually a nice piece of equipment. I've seen people who have the Fitbit, Fitbit. who seem pretty gassed about it. I don't see any reason. I, I can't, and I'm sure that maybe somebody will will tell me I'm wrong. Maybe somebody's got something I'm not thinking of. I don't see any reason to own an Apple Watch besides for the fact of being able to look at how cool I am with my Apple Watch. No, that's I don't basically see, it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. with, and with most Apple products, yeah. that you know tends to be the Rolando yeah. case on this, yeah. you know, the shit that they make, but like... I don't. I just don't see what you would ever use it for. You've got your phone for everything the watch does. Yeah. And like, it's a neat little toy. I'm sure if I had millions of dollars, I'd have one. But like, what's the point? I think my only hot take on it is I don't necessarily find it always aesthetically 
peeling on people. Like, no, I've seen I don't people like, wear I don't those. Like the look. Yeah, I do. Yeah. You do? You yeah. look sharp? Um, so I have a Fitbit, and uh, it's a $50 difference between the Apple Watch and a Fitbit. So for me, it was like a $50 difference in functionality. Yeah. Okay. Like I can open up a whole other world of functionality for fifty dollars, and it seemed like that was a possibly reasonable thing That's to fair. do. Yeah. I mean, people do whatever they want yeah. with their money. You know, if you have an Apple Watch, it makes you happy. Yeah. More power to you. It's, for sure. I don't. Yeah. I'm not. I've got no interest. Okay. I, I don't have fifty dollars, so it's a moot point on that one. I I feel like in my head, I thought the Apple Watch was gonna be like the Dick Tracy communication watch, like. Hey there, Cliff, I'm talking into my wrist. And you'd be like, hey, buddy. And it's not exactly what it is. No. Can you do that with your Apple Watch? I hope not. I don't want people hearing my conversations out loud. It's the same reason I don't put people on speakerphone. <laughs> I hate I speakerphone. never put people. There's nothing yeah. worse than I hate being on speakerphone, and I hate when people like put speakerphone on when you're yeah, there. Right. And they're just like, I'm, should I announce myself? I'm here. This is weird. When they get a grappling hook, I'm in. Like a spy sure. watch. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. spy yeah. watch... Apple Spy Watch, I'm in on. I'm yeah. around the block waiting for the Apple <laughs> Spy Watch. I'm into that for sure. Um, Cliff, before we get too far uh, away from it, uh, I was talking about the Enchanted Forest Water Safari. Are you familiar with the Enchanted Forest Water Safari? Only vaguely. Only vaguely. I was gonna yeah. say. I don't know if you're like if that's in your wheelhouse. Yes. Yeah, so uh, a very wonderful summer program I attended as a child. Uh, the Canajahari Youth Center puts on a great summer program, and they're doing a 5K race. On August 27th, so there's a plug. Go run in Kanajahari for the Kanajahari Youth Center. It's $20. It's the best $20 you can spend. There you and go. It goes towards the summer program. But they uh, they sent us every year when we were kids. They See, that feels send like us a, on a hike trip. from Kanajahari. It is a haul. Yeah, on a bus with a bunch of screaming children. So, you know, the, the chaperones were real saints, and, and they did good things. Mm-hmm. It was very nice experience, but I don't have really any memory of it. I can't. Did you did you have like a water park you ever went to growing up? Were there like fringe water parks? Did I like... don't think so. Oh yeah, Great Escape. Yeah, Great Escape. Now Great Escape is. Mm, I feel like Great Escape is on a different level than a place Great Escape's like the a water theme park. safari. Yeah, amusement park. It's got full yes. roller coasters and like concessions and like yeah. Uh, it's got some diesel. It's got some diesel slides though, like water slides. Yeah, it's got, yeah. Right, but it's a higher level because of the roller coasters. Uh, yeah. The See, I, the yeah, stuff. I don't. Yeah, is roller coaster the defining term that turns it from like a like a amusement park into like a theme park or like a big attraction? I don't know what the terminology would be. Probably. Yeah. Probably. Probably be the easiest barometer to set. Yeah. Sylvan Beach has a roller coaster. Theoretically, <laughs> the Galaxy, <laughs> Central New York's largest and only roller coaster. Wow. Um, so let's get into uh, let's get into some other is, stories. Wait, is Sylvan Beach open. Is the amusement park yes. out there? I know they closed a couple years ago for the summer. Did they? Yeah. That's disappointing. But I thought it might have just been for the year. I don't know if... The, if any of our listeners know, let me know if the Sylvan Beach Amusement Park is open. Maybe we'll go out there and raise some I feel some like it is days. open. I want to say I went last summer. Okay. I want to say I went last summer. I feel like... I'd be very disappointed. No, I definitely did because I played Fascination and I cheated. Do you guys know how to play Fascination? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, so Fascination is a boardwalk game uh, on, on the boardwalk at Sylvan Beach for anyone who's played there. Uh... I won't go into details. It's a long story. Theoretically, you have one ball to roll up into the into the game to play it. Okay. I uh, Someone left their ball on the machine next to me. I had two. Nobody noticed it the whole time, and I ran the house for like five games Good until my sister, my sister was like, stop it, you're cheating. And I was like, don't tell everybody I'm uh, cheating. Like, she like couldn't watch me cheat at the game anymore. Uh, so I guess good for her for having yeah, a good soul. Somebody in there is out there. Yeah, someone's out yeah. there. Yeah. Um, now let's get into today's, uh, let's get into today's news section of the store uh new section of the podcast and this actually ties in a little bit to uh, our upcoming franklin square film series which is happening this wednesday uh july 27th 
We're showing the film Jurassic Park. Um, I talked about it in the interview that's coming up with uh, with uh, Tom Knudsen, whose name I keep getting wrong, even though he corrected me in the interview of how Wicked to say it. Easy, just Knudsen. It's not. No, it's not. It, it's, it, not? It, it's not Nudson. That's what I'm saying. That's it's, what Parkinson told me. Pa- don't listen to oh, Parkinson. There you go. I hear uh, the authority. No, I asked. That's what Tom told things me. Grammar. Uh, <laughs> so anyhow, the Uptown Theater was my local movie theater growing up in South Utica. Uh, I went to the Uptown Theater numerous times growing up, specifically to see the film Jurassic Park, which is the film we'll be showing this Wednesday. What was your number? Uh, 31. Thanks. They'll talk about it in the podcast. Uh, no one believes me. I that's just the uh, I believe you. That's <laughs> just the number that sits in my head that I feel like it must be true. I've definitely seen it more than that since then. But uh, the Uptown Theater meant a lot to me growing up. That was where I went to go see a lot of movies, me and my mom. Um, and now it looks like uh, the Uptown Theater is for sale. Guys. Ooh. Yeah. Again, it's been for sale many times over the years. Put the Apple Watch on hold. Oh, you've go. got an investment opportunity, gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, so it's not currently available to bid on. The bank is waiting 90 days. They're not currently ready to let it go out onto the market. Uh, but they're saying it's worth somewhere around $200,000, I guess. Uh, I would have gone over. You want to try and go buy the Uptown? Uh, I mean, I am willing to lead a group of investors. <laughs> uh. Uh, I don't, you know, look... I, the Uptown Theater has been sort of an up-and-down establishment in terms of being open and how active it's been for a long time, right? Um, that being said, I would be very sad if that building and that theater just sort of turned into nothing, right? It would be really It will for a while. Yeah. It 100% will for a while. Yeah. Did we not speak recently about how, like, overall ticket sales in movie theaters is going down? Yeah, we right. talked not too long ago yeah. about this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so when you're making an investment like that, that's got to be a consideration. I mean, well, that's good because the... they've torn out the screens and the seats, so it's not a movie theater anymore. So it's just you can there just is do no live movie shows. That's space it. anymore. I mean, maybe in those like two upper room side theaters, but the main theater is not a movie theater. Yeah, they I've very, been there they one very, time. very clearly yeah. took everything and changed it out to be a live venue. You know what I mean? Right. So you, if you wanted to make it a movie theater, you would have to go buy seats. You would have to go buy screens. You would have to buy project all that so stuff. That's pretty much you know out of the I mean? question. Yeah. Right, right. Well, that was the other thing. They say it's worth about two hundred thousand dollars, but it's also in like in debt to whoever it's owed to for like four hundred thousand. So there's a lot to it besides just oh, let's buy the Uptown Theater. Well, yeah, it's in a bunch of debt. It needs a lot of work. There's a lot of stuff that's in mm. not full disrepair, but definitely work that it needs to be, right. be modernized. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Just a shame. I always, I always have strong nostalgic feelings. Hopefully, the well, hopefully theater. somebody does yeah. something with it. I mean, with you know mm-hmm. the way that things continue to keep rising in the city and commercial real estate being at a very high premium here in South Utica because there's not a lot of it. Yeah, it makes sense that eventually somebody will do something with a building of that stature. And I've seen a lot of people propose a lot of different ideas. I've seen some of like team talk a lot talking about making it like a communal community space that people yeah. can all use like as a co-op, which would be neat if somebody would actually go out and spearhead that and do it. Um, you could make it a live music venue. That would be great because I live so close. It would be phenomenal if I could go see shows like two blocks from my house. Yeah. Um, hopefully something happens, though, because it's a nice old building. Well, that would be a nice compensation for the fact that there is no building where Captain Trips used to be, which was the music venue that was there for a long time. It's true. It seems like it would be a natural succession, but, uh, you know. I think uh, parking is kind of an issue, right? That's the one. Yeah, parking was always an issue with this location yeah. around here, though. Like, that's always but that's got to be the Parking's one an issue, issue everywhere in the city. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's got to be the one issue, though, right? Because it's got a nice little neighborhood around it, you know? Um, there's certainly the strip of commercial space that has everything that you could ever really need. 
Um, and then there's a neighborhood housing around it, so it's got a good infrastructure around it. It just doesn't have parking. In my mind, I always wanted it to become sort of like, not an art house theater, but like a theater where you could just show movies, right? But I don't understand the politics of what it would take to like, if I want to show The Thing at the Uptown yeah. Theater... What do I actually have to do right. to show it? I have to probably buy licensing from yeah. Yeah, you've whatever. Got to pay, you've got to pay somebody some right. money. Yeah, right. and it's not just as simple as, like, I want to have this small theater that shows movies I like to people for a cheap price because it's not that simple. No. I just don't believe that it can possibly be no. that simple. So, no. I think it would be interesting to see somebody try to do something in the style like the Alamo Draft House where you can go in there and, like, sit down and eat a meal while watching a movie. That would be great. That would be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Nighthawk Cinema was the only art house cinema in New York. Uh, take a shot. That was like the hot thing. They had like David Lynch night, and they'd show like three yeah. David Lynch movies oh over my like. God, the they must have uh, loved that. Yeah. Well, they you have know what I mean? In like, uh, what yeah. I mean basically is like uh, that's just the example I'm thinking of. But to have the ability to do cool stuff like that, like oh, we're gonna do like a Sam Raimi night and show like five Sam Raimi movies over yep. the course of yeah. three days, whatever. You know what I mean? So. Well, like, you have the population in that area for that niche interest, and they have one in Albany. It's the same thing. It's in the middle of three schools, so they have a niche population where they can do things like mm -hmm. that and still get enough people in the door to actually pay the bills. It might be a tough tough one here. I'm talking a lot about movies lately on this, yeah. on this show. Yeah. Um, I do want to, before we get moving farther on, I do want to check in with politics. I know, groan-inducing. Uh, yes, we, I'm groaning. Groaning. Um, we did... We did briefly talk about uh, Donald Trump RNC stuff last week. I think did we briefly at no, all mention it? No. Oh, good. I managed to steer the entire conversation away from <laughs> did it. Did we cut it out of your agenda? Uh, well, we're not going to talk about that this week. Uh, what I am going to talk about is uh, a story I read today uh, about Bernie Sanders being booed by his supporters after he told them to vote for Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to bring this up because we do tend to lean pretty anti-Trump, anti-like Republican leanings. Uh, but I also don't want, I just want to point out that it does seem like the Democrats as well are not doing a great job. Like, oh, so like we've, we've sort of not this. talked about yeah. it. Like They're all the devil. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty bad. This will be, listen, I, every, every time until November, here is my take. And yeah. my take is resounding and my take will not change barring wild unseen events. It is sad. It is a sad state mm. of affairs that these are the choices that we're left with. Agreed. And I really, there's no answer. Yeah. There's no good scenario that comes out of either of these people you know what i mean uh so instead of going into politics necessarily i want to uh, i want to point people towards something that i thought was interesting politically this week uh again i like to point people to mark maron podcasts a lot because he's one of my guys last week mark maron was talking to chuck klosterman if you're familiar with chuck, with chuck klosterman he's a great writer uh, he's wrote a bunch of great novels he used to write for spin uh really really smart guy and they talked a little bit about this this uh political environment we're in and one of the things that they said that kind of stuck with me is Whenever you're talking about politics, no matter whether it's on TV or on a podcast or even with your buddies, it's really hard to actually have an individual personal opinion about politics. Because generally, anytime you talk about politics, you're just regurgitating whatever politics you took in from whatever sources you think are acceptable. And it's, it takes a long time and a lot of understanding about politics to actually have a personal opinion about like the political system and supposed to being following any party lines one way or the other. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know. And I, they talked a little bit about that, and that was actually the most fascinating political discussion I've heard all month. So I think that's a fascinating reason why representative democracy is failing. Uh, it's got one person who's got to be an expert on many topics, and that doesn't really. I work read. Very well. I re okay, I read a really good article in New York Magazine. Uh, I think it was from May, but I just stumbled across it on Reddit or somewhere the other day. It was basically talking about the life cycle of, of a democratic society 
and basically like how so many of the things we're experiencing right now are inevitable. Yeah. When you have a democracy, it's inevitable that you get to this late stage democracy and it's stuff that Plato or Socrates, one of the two, don't remember either Plato or Socrates wrote about and they described exactly what's happened in the last 50 years in this country to a T all the way back in ancient Greece right, when right. they were originally yeah. come up with the idea of democracy and it was really interesting to read and to see how much, I mean they always say you know history repeats itself and that's very very true that's why you know I think a historical education and some perspective is really important as you mature into an adult but I thought it was just wild to see him you know every single thing that you could imagine all the way down to you know the way social issues are in the country now the way that you know, wealth inequality and the way people feel about that, uh, the rise of Trump, all these different things. And it was a really long article because it's New York Magazine, so their articles are super, super long, which I appreciate, but not everybody does. But if somebody can find it, maybe I'll yeah. put it up on my own Twitter if I can yeah. find it again. Yeah, you guys yeah, should yeah. check it out because it was a really, really good reading. All right, uh, so let's start moving on to the interview portion of the show. But before we do, this week's episode of the Unicast is brought to you by the Adirondack Scenic Railroad and their upcoming Haunted History Evening Excursion. It happens each month in this remote Adirondack town, and they say the train comes alive in a whole different way. Hear the tales of murder and crimes that left their ghostly impressions in our haunted in our in our haunted history. Disembark the train and follow our guides on a walking trail into the forest for a thrill tour like no other. The stories are derived from the book Haunted Old Forge, where spirits linger on the pine-covered slopes of the Adirondack Mountains whilst that surround Old Forge. Authors Dennis Webster and Bernadette Peck and the players of Utica take a chilling journey into the paranormal history of the Adirondacks. Tickets start at $25 on July 30th. Go to AdirondackRR.com. It's more than just a train ride. Wow. Thank you. That was wonderful. Not that. only did you do a great job, but you've piqued my interest to once again ride the race. It sounds cool, right? Like I was reading through the thing and I was like, I'm into it. I'm it's into pretty it. Good. All right, so uh coming up this Wednesday though, folks, July 27th is the first edition of the Franklin Square film series. We present Jurassic Park brought to you by Fight Bakery, Nomad Cinema, and of course, all of us here at Made all in Utica. All of the Utica. hooligans who keep succeeding in spite of ourselves. <laughs> Made in Utica. <laughs> uh, so this week's interview uh, is with a very, very good friend of the company, the secret weapon of Made in Utica, as I refer to him, uh, Tom Knudsen. That just doesn't sound right to me. I know it's oh, right. Silly. I know it's right, and I know that's why I always just right. call him TK. TK. Just TK. TK. We just call him TK. Uh, I refer to him as a filmmaker. He sort of guffawed me off as uh, as overstating him, but he is a, a phenomenal filmmaker, and he has a wonderful knowledge of movies and the craftsmanship that comes with being a really, really great director and cameraman. And we had a wonderful conversation about uh, films and uh, how excited we are for Jurassic Park this Wednesday. So let's get right into it with our dude, TK. doing and when we're doing it. Uh, right now, I'm dressed as Dr. Alan Grant from the 1993 classic film Jurassic Park. 
uh, across the table, sitting in the room, but uh, I don't know if she's going to join in this interview or not, is our good friend Kate Riley, dressed as Dr. Ellie Sattler. Hey, guys. And, uh, and I'm here with one of my favorite uh, movie buffs. I would call you a filmmaker. Anyone who just calls you a cameraman is a fool. Uh, my very good friend, uh, TK, and the reason I'm referring to you as TK is I need to get something very straight with you right now. Okay. Since I've met you, and I think that you're one of the smartest film guys I've ever met. I love talking to you. Great dude. You do great work. I still keep calling you Tom Nudson, and I don't think... That's the actual pronunciation of your last name, and no. I feel like a jerk. No, you're like my fifth grade teacher. Or I am. I, when I just it's Knudsen, Yeah, it? you do. You pronounce the K like knife. Like knife. Yeah. It's right. weird. It's so weird. So now I feel Danish. like less yeah. of a jerk. Uh, but let me, let me give you, you, I think of you, Tom Knudsen, as the secret weapon oh. of Made in Utica. Some of the work you do, you're one of the best, like, <laughs> film, I don't even know what to call you. I call you a filmmaker because I don't know what you're even, the term is. But your, uh, your eye for cinema is phenomenal. Uh, you, you directed the film that won the 48-hour film festival, did you not? I did. Lost Dog. Lost Dogs, yeah. A lot of fun. I mean, I just, like you said, um, I feel like I'm not a freelancer, but I'm a contributor with, for Made It in Utica. <laughs> with a, whenever, the vi- whenever something needs a visual medium, uh, I usually have a blast, so I'm <laughs> signing up as... You can see I'm here, and I feel like I'm on the set of Jurassic Park right now with you two. So <laughs> it just it just so happens that we own all of this gear by accident, <laughs> and that I also have lots of dinosaur crap. Now, um, I want to say I've been trying to get you on the show for a long time, actually, because I love talking about movies. I spent so much time thinking about pop culture, and I do want to get into the Franklin Fair, uh, Franklin Square film series with you and Jurassic Park, but I want to start a little bit with you so people can get an idea of who you are as a man. Okay. So uh, I always start with where you were born. Uh, uh, I assume you're local-ish. Yeah, right? I'm, I'm from Rome, New York. Rome, New York. Did you go to RFA? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah. That was the first graduating yeah. class yeah. of the new RFA. Yeah, yeah, the new building. Yep. The new RFA building makes me angry. Because we got the new Proctor building right around the same time that new RFA was around. And when I spent some time at new Proctor, and then I went up to RFA and I was like, what, what is this? This is like a college campus. I feel like we're in a multicolored like Rubik's Cube school. It was really strange. I, I was really jealous of RFA. Yeah, it was an, inter- <laughs> it was an interesting like first year there, when the graduating year, because it was so big and like technically advanced. It's funny, they had a operational TV studio in there that BOCES, you could take BOCES classes, which I signed up for. It was like three periods of just playing with cameras and switchers, and it was the first time I ever used editing equipment. So that was was awesome. I'm glad you said that. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Uh, Were you always into... Into film and video editing and, and being involved with, like, shooting stuff, I guess? Not yeah, no, yeah, like, I, um, my parents had a old VHS, you yeah. know, for home videos, and I would <laughs> yes. hijack that and film, like, short films with my Star Wars action figures. I Star Wars? Yeah. Uh, yeah. okay, you're one of those Yeah, people. one of those, one of, <laughs> one of those. How many times have you seen The Force Awakens? Probably... Six or seven? Six times. Yeah, I've seen it zero, and I can't. I can't <laughs> knock you on it. So I like. I, I like Star Wars. I don't. I think I must have missed like the the mythos on it for like. I, I enjoyed those movies. They were on, like TBS a lot when I was a kid. They'd always show them all in a row, which was something you would see a lot on TV back when we were kids. They just show the same movie like eight yeah. times in a row all day long. But I feel like I've sort of missed the boat on this Star Wars resurgence because I'm not totally as like 
as in on Star Wars as I am on, let's say, Jurassic Park, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, all right, so you're going, to, you're going to Rome. You know you like video stuff. Yeah. Uh, where'd you go to college? I, um, I did a year at SUNY Purchase. Nice. And then I transferred and went to DeSales University in Pennsylvania. And what was your, uh, what was your major? Um, it was video, TV, yeah. and film production. I love it. See, a lot of times when people come on the show... You'll, they'll tell you, they'll say, oh, my degree's in this, but yeah. I got this job in this. I love when I talk to people who have, like, trade skills, and it's like, no, this is this is what yeah. I've been doing for, for as long as I can remember. Yeah, it was, it. and it was weird getting into that. It was weird knowing in high school. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was cool to know, but it, it every step of the way, it's interesting when you know what you want to do, but then, like, how to adapt to the reality of mm-hmm. it. Sure. Like, especially in college, like, SUNY Purchase, I transferred out because I found it was too much theory, you know, it oh, felt okay. like they were grooming. Yeah. They were grooming critics and like people that would write theses on like you know how this film changed people's lives, which is great. It's sure. perfect to know. Sure. But they had a com- uh, conservatory which was mm. only let in like ten people a year. So I was trying to knock on that door, couldn't get in. Sure. Um, they thought when you know I went to the interview for that, they thought you know watching Steven Spielberg movies in Rome, New York, yes. I was a little bit too maybe too mainstream sure and i'm like well this is why i'm in college to learn right i mean rome new york we're not really playing art house films so but so i i the sales was a lot more hands-on yeah. they promised it when i went for the interviews and yeah i finished up there and, and loved it. i had a camera in my hand every class i'm glad you say hands-on i know a lot of close friends of mine who do video editing either in new york city or around here still and a lot of those people either went to hccc or smaller campuses and what they always said about hccc was you can go to Syracuse and not touch a camera until your senior year because of the size of the classes, or you can go to HCCC and be hands-on with the gear from day one. And there's a certain amount of, like, maybe it's it's good to just be around this stuff so often and you just learn to have it second nature until you have to build up and build up and build up instead. Yeah, no, it's really important. Even, like, I, I'm i currently, you know, work still working in this industry at a ad agency, and it's knowing half of it's when you work with the equipment and it keeps changing it's like you want to know what can go wrong and the only way to figure that out is keep doing it and keep shooting stuff and get in different situations scenarios work with different personalities and it's so much collaboration too so uh let me ask you this one uh i when i was a kid um i'll I'll reference it here Uh, my sister was 10 years older than me and her favorite movie was jaws and when we were kids, she would drag me out of my room because she didn't want to watch Jaws by herself. She's 10 years older than me. She dragged her 10-year younger little brother out of his room to watch Jaws with her because she didn't want to watch it by herself. Not thinking that I was now traumatized as a child by this film, uh, and, and as time went on, it became one of my favorite movies. Uh, but that was actually one of the first movies that had an impact on me and made me appreciate cinema. We talked a little bit about Spielberg. We're going to talk about Spielberg in a minute. Yeah. Was there like a movie for you that like you watched growing up that had an impact on you that was like, oh, oh man, like this movie really like speaks to me. Um, I, I feel like which kind of launched me in there. It's like, it was a new hope on it because I yeah. didn't know. I was invited over to my my buddy's house. He was a he was a bass buddy. His family worked at Griffiths. Mm. And he was super into Star Wars, and we watched it then. And I, you know, I knew that I saw that he had all the toys, which yeah. I thought was cool. Yeah. But when I watched it, I, I don't know. I think it was stripped away of that. The core it was like, wow, I kind of relate to this of like being the small town. You know, there yeah. was there was something when I left there that like I found 
that I thought was a secret because everyone's like, cool, aliens. But I was like, wait, this dude just is like Luke's just trying to get out of a you know, small town and meet people yeah. that share his sense of um, adventure. And so it was it was cool. It felt like my secret because everyone's like, oh, the space or the aliens. And I was like, you know, this hit me at a different level. I think if you look at, and uh, you're, when you're talking about Star Wars and I'm talking about Jaws, these are Steven Spielberg yeah, and George yeah. Lucas, two huge yeah. mainstream, again, mainstream directors. Mm-hmm. But the reason that someone like uh, George Lucas or Steven Spielberg is so mainstream is because they've been able to create these movies that have mass broad appeal that appeal to all ages and ranges and are sort of timeless. You can watch Star, you can watch the old Star Wars today, the original yep. New Hope, and it still holds up. You watch Jaws today, okay, maybe the shark looks terrible, but I gotta tell you, in 1975 it looked terrible too, yeah. right? That, that that movie's not about a shark, it's about the people in that movie, yeah, right? Yeah, it's just about panic um, and fear. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, we can, we can get into Jaws at some later date. Uh, I do want to throw a couple uh, things that I needed to talk to you about before we get into Jurassic yeah. Park. One of them is The Twilight Zone. Uh, I talk a lot about The Twilight Zone on the show. Uh, I love Rod Serling. He's one of the most uh, inspiring, fascinating people, especially because he's from upstate New York. Yeah. Um, were you a Twilight Zone guy at all growing up? Uh, not huge. I was like, I was a big fan of a few of them, but I never got crazy into sure. it. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I would recommend if because you're because knowing you the way I do, yeah. you should go back and watch a couple of them now. Uh, my buddy who's a video editor and I used to always talk about this. Those were shot on film in like the '60s, and somehow if you watch them today, they still look and feel amazing. Like the direction and the cameras and um, just the sets and the design and the acting is really, really like traditional old, like classically yeah. professional Hollywood, and it's really awesome to watch it on film. Uh, and the other one I only talk to you about is David Lynch. Uh, I love David Lynch. I'm a huge fan of Twin Peaks, Mulholland Drive, one of my favorite movies. Very controversial director. Do you have a hot take oh, on David I'm, Lynch? I'm a huge David Lynch fan. I'm <laughs> so, a Lynch fan? Yeah, I'm so <laughs> pumped that they, uh, you know, agreed with it, got everything set for the new Twin Peaks that oh, Showtime's jumping on. Oh, man. I can't wait. I just wanted to be yeah. here now. Yep. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge, like, uh, Blue Velvet, I'm a oh, huge dude. fan of just, again, it's... One of those random things of like you, you know, I don't know where you find an ear, and and then the adventure starts, and it's so intriguing. So unlike a Steven Spielberg or a George Lucas, what makes a David Lynch film or television series special is sort of hard to pinpoint. It is almost the exact opposite of what a Steven Spielberg movie is trying to be. It's like a challenging film. I can't think of a David Lynch movie that I've watched where I didn't have some major question about whether or not what I'm watching is actually what this is really about. No, right, like, yeah, and he's an unsafe choice. I mean, I think you see that because Spielberg just had another movie out, you know, this summer, BFG. I mean, Spielberg will always, if he wanted to, have a movie. I think Lynch has to, there's a lot more fighting he has to do <laughs> to get stuff made because, you know, you can't just bank on, you know, his... But the struggle is appealing to a certain Oh, it really extent. is. Like, I, I, actors flock to it. You see he gets names, so... I just... I want to talk to David Lynch more than I want to talk to almost anybody on the planet. I just want to know. I just want to know about him. All right. Uh, let's talk about Jurassic Park. Uh, you're wearing a Jurassic Park t-shirt. I'm yes. dressed like Alan Grant. Jurassic Park 1's playing in the living room. Jurassic Park 2 is playing in my room. There are dinosaur puppets uh, next to the computer. We like dinosaurs in this house. Do you remember Jurassic Park coming out when you were a kid? Yeah, I do. I remember uh, crying and running out of the living room when I... <laughs> 
my parents put it on because I was watching it at night, and that for the first scene where they introduce the uh, the Raptors, but they don't really show it. Just oh yeah, scared scared me because they don't show it, and so my mind's going yes. a million, you know, miles a second, and I had to watch the first Jurassic Park in daylight. Hmm. I had to. to yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I was such a nerd for dinosaurs. I drag. I forced my mom to take me. I, I I'm not joking. I have this number stuck in my head. So, I, I saw that movie in the theater 31 times. It hit every 31 times. I know people were screaming. I thought it was at that age, 1993. That would make me uh, eight, nine, seven, eight. I guess in that range. Uh, that range. Uh, I. It was everything that could have possibly. It was meant for me. The music. The dinosaurs. It yeah. looked so real. It was like scary, but also exciting. It was the greatest movie-going experience of my life as a kid. Like I could not, I couldn't handle myself. And now, when you go back and watch it, um, I'm talking, you know, like almost twenty-three, twenty-four years later now, yeah. it still holds up. And not just the special effects, the acting as well holds up. Uh, I'm going to shout out two really nerdy movie guys, uh, Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett. These are the guys who did uh, the major special effects work on Jurassic Park. They come from a stop-motion animation. Original ILM, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Original ILM. And they were doing uh, stop-motion animation. They were like the last guys to carry on, like the Ray Harryhausen, Willis Mm O'Brien stop-motion animation. Uh, So what you'll notice about Jurassic Park, and I'm getting really deep into this right (laughs) now, is if you look at the special effects, there's a tremendous amount of restraint in that movie. If you make that movie again today, which they did, it's called Jurassic World, yeah. you'll notice that there's far less restraint with what the dinosaurs are doing and how much special effects nonsense is going on because it's easier to do it. Yeah. Uh, Jaws, Jurassic Park, uh, even Star Wars to a certain extent, like the special effects are restrained so in those moments of big excitement happen, it builds up to something and it's not just... We're going to punch you in the face with CG for two and a half hours, and if you can withstand it, maybe you can leave and you can talk about it. Well, not even that. I think even today, that's such a key in like making films. Hmm. I think it's such a key element that needs to be brought back into mainstream is that leaving the viewer's imagination do the work. Yeah. There's so much if you do not show and you just set it up, the, the viewer will scare themselves. The viewer will take them to a place that any effects won't do justice. Did you watch the new Jurassic, uh, the new Godzilla movie? Yeah, I did. Did you like it? I thought the teaser trailer was one of the best <laughs> promotional pieces <laughs> yeah. I've seen in like year, like yeah. ever. And I was disappointed a little bit by the movie. I was just let down by that movie. Pissed me yeah. off as a guy who loves Godzilla, love, 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 capital L O V E, loves Godzilla and loves Jaws. They basically made a new Jaws movie with Godzilla and the only thing they did wrong is they had no actors. Yeah. It's unbearable to watch when it's not actors. And like, the actor they had, they k- killed off so early, so Oh, the only actor I know, the only yeah. actor in the film. Uh, but Spoiler that's a movie, alert. but that's a movie that I think <laughs> attempted to do the restraint thing. It it did yeah. try to hold back the big reveal of here's this yeah, lot, CG creation. Yeah, a lot of it they showed like through news yeah. on TVs, like mm-hmm. the fights. And he, I'm, I'm excited because the uh, director Gareth Edwards, he's doing Rogue yeah, One. Star so Wars Rogue One. I'm pumped. Yeah. I think that's a good choice. I like Gareth Edwards. You should watch some of his other flicks. Monsters. Mon- I saw. That's yep. a good movie yep. too, man. Um, all right. So uh, by the time you guys hear this, uh, it's going to be Tuesday morning. Wednesday, July twenty seventh. We're going to watch Jurassic Park for free, folks. Franklin Square, 
film series. Eight o'clock, lights go down. It's going to be a free-for-all as well as being free. <laughs> that John Williams score just echoing through the oh, streets of Utica. So you know, in. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's maybe the most underrated aspect of Jurassic Park is it has just the greatest film score. Oh my God, it's so good. It like it gives me the feels. You know what happens yeah. when you hear you sometimes you hear a song and you like, can feel it in the yeah. chest. Yeah, Jurassic Park theme song. Before I let you go, yeah. I want to talk to you about something. Um, this is something that uh, I talk about with a lot of my uh, my editor friends, obviously, so they're sort of biased. Okay. Who's the most underappreciated member of any film crew? Because the easiest answer, it seems like, is the editor. That's the person who has to do the most amount of putting together work that doesn't probably get the credit of a director, right? The director can just shoot all day long. Yeah. But there's a certain amount of, like, restraint and technique that comes with being an editor that I think people don't pay attention to. And I don't know if that's right or no, wrong. No, no. Editing's an art. But I would go one further and say the script supervisor because these are nuances you'll Script never supervise. Yeah, these are but these, huh. I mean, you might think it's just, you know, spell checking or making sure they're on the right page, but so a script supervisor is like also in charge of like continuity. So, you know, they take mass amounts of takes and like the takes you see are the best ones picked by the director. But, you know, what the director's not paying attention to is, you know, where the hair parted, yeah. how many, you know, where the cigarette is at the puff, where the yeah. glass is filled, and there's so many. When you leave, taking pictures. I mean, script supervisor is in charge of taking pictures of how you left the room. Yeah. You know where you know script where that glass is. Yeah, there's I'm pitch that one back because the editors are always biased. So like, it's always editors, <laughs> only editors. Well, it's all that yeah. matters. It's tough to edit when you know a guy takes a sip of a full drink and then the next shot it's empty. So I mean, that's all you have. I've seen that in many movies. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, let's uh, <laughs> let's get away from movies real quick before okay. we close up today. I got a couple quick lightning round style questions to ask you, Thomas Knudsen. I'm, I'm ready. I'm do it wrong. I'm ready. <laughs> All right. How do you take your coffee? Black. You're the second person in a row. We've had nobody say black, but now two in a yeah. row. I like it. Give me uh, one film, one book, or one uh, movie you are, one TV, I'm sorry, one book, one album, or one film you're currently watching, listening to, or reading. All right. Um... Uh, Stranger Things right now. Are you watching it? Yeah, I'm watching it. I got two left. Is it good? It's amazing. Really? Yeah, you'll love it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah it's TK. it's great. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then one movie? I'm current. Uh, well, you can give me, yeah, give me a movie too. Uh, let's see, movie. Is it Star Wars for the seventh time? <laughs> Is it gonna it be might Star be Star Wars for the No, you know what? It's, uh, <laughs> it's looking out for trailers for episode eight. So episode eight, yeah, right. there we go. Um, and when in one book, I'm actually dipping into Ready Player One. Really? Yeah, because I want to... a lot of people doing that. Yeah. Are you making a movie of that? Yeah, they are. Spielberg. It's, it's going to be a Spielberg. Yeah. Let's see how that makes Which total. I think is... God, you're so mainstream. Yeah, you know I know. I, mean? I know. I got... Yeah. Too mainstream. <laughs> so. Uh, what was your... Uh, what was your first car? My first car was a Chevy... Impala. It was like an old mm. gangster. Or it, shit. Buick. I don't. Is it a Buick? Let's say I, I don't. It was a terrible car, but I always like to see. I always like to say the car I got after that. I like to say is my first car because it's it's the car I drive now. But it's not this. It's a Honda Del Sol. It's so much fun. Honda Del Sol. Yeah. Name. Mr. Uh, Maiden Uke himself, Parkinson, used to have one when I we drive up to 
We don't have to bring him up on the show anymore. We can. Oh, okay. Can, <laughs> All right. <laughs> can, you del- can you delete that? Part? I'll, I'll see what I can do. Okay. Uh, Ed- editing. With, and with this first car, uh, what was the first concert you drove this car to? Um, I saw the Rolling Stones as my first concert. That's pretty in Syracuse. Yeah, it was. I was knock. spoiled. Like it was. <laughs> I think I'm still chasing the dragon as far as live shows go because it was like, I don't. My some relative had like second row mm. seats and it was amazing. Yeah. I don't normally ask this, but uh, last one, what's your favorite movie? Mm. Take a deep breath on that yeah. one, drink it in. I don't, it, honestly, it'd probably be, I mean, everyone's going to expect me to say Star Wars, but American Beauty. American Beauty? Is one of, really? is, yeah. Spacey. Yeah. Legend. Yeah. I, that's another movie that mm. really, when I was in high school, like, just hit me with not just how funny, like, it was funny, but then at the end, I felt like my, like my life had changed to my outlook on life. I want to say I had a copy of that on DVD, and I used to play it in my PlayStation Two. It was on like short rotation. That's like a, that's sort of a forgotten, really good movie. Like, yeah, that or an was Academy a, Award, right? Yeah, that won Academy Award. Yeah. I feel like that was really ahead of its time, um, and it was underrated how funny that movie is. Yes, just Kevin Spacey is just hilarious. Um, so. Well, as I mentioned already, Jaws is my favorite movie. But you folks can join us. Tomorrow, Wednesday night, July 27th at Franklin Square, uh, we're playing Jurassic Park, my <laughs> second favorite movie. It's going to be free, 8 p.m. Come down and join yeah. us. TK, Thanks. happy finally. to finally have you. Yes, Thanks, I'm, I'm pumped. Thank you. Not as pumped as me. <laughs> we'll argue about it. Uh, we'll be back to the show in just a moment. coming in and talk to us uh you'll be seeing all sorts of work that tk does of course you probably won't notice it because that's just the way tk is working under the scenes under under the scenes and behind the radar to make this all work for us (laughs) jeez uh yeah uh no no we had a really nice conversation about movies and i think you guys were actually sort of in and out of the room for that interview because we we came in towards the interview uh because we were getting ready to shoot the jurassic park video that we shot which i didn't know about me and Cliff, yeah. so me and Cliff yeah. got back to the studio, quote unquote, the house mm-hmm. slash apartment slash apartments, plural. <laughs> so we get back here and there's this interview going on and I look in and Sam's wearing the khaki pants. He's got the <laughs> denim shirt tucked in. And now that, that's nothing. Okay, maybe he was at work. That's not too far off from how you dress. I see he's got a bandana tied around his neck. I'm like, all right, maybe he misses Williamsburg. I don't know what he's doing. And so then I come in and it wasn't until I saw Katie Riley sitting across from him dressed as Dr. Sadler in her pink shirt tied up looking like a million bucks with the khaki shorts that I was like, oh, the Jurassic Park thing is today. And it really took on a life of its own. I got to tell you, I've gotten a lot of burn off that Jurassic Park trailer. It's doing all right. Um, You know, a lot of people coming up to me like Saranac (laughs) Thursdays and stuff being like, dude. We, I, I said this uh, a couple times to uh, other members of Made in Utica. Um, we had been so busy post-Passport and post-Boilermaker, and we'd been so hectic. I really think we needed to do something kind of silly to break it up, and it Roll really was. some steam. It was fun. It was probably as much fun as we've had doing anything yeah. as a Made in Utica group in a yeah. long time. Yeah. Just like multiple instances um, of being moved to tears. 
Yeah. Just, and not in an emotional way, in a that's hilarious way. Oh, dude, and I gotta tell you, like, the video is only three and a half minutes long. We definitely should release a director's, director's cut. Oh, my God. With the additional two minutes of content. There's that, probably a hell of a lot more than two yeah. minutes. There's probably yeah. like a 12-minute video. That we shot most of the movie. Can I say, though, really? like, this is what blows me away about doing stuff like this. We shot probably... Up to two hours, three hours worth of footage yeah. to cut down. You think so? We didn't shoot two hours. We, well, shot, we shot four. It took us two or three hours to shoot. We probably only shot 16 minutes of footage. You think it was 16? I feel like it was, man. Oh, very right. little. Think about when yeah. that camera was actually yeah. rolling. There was yeah. a lot of staging, practicing. Well, not really I mean, not a lot. Say, I wouldn't call it a lot. Yeah. But there was a lot of us like running around and talking about what we were going to yeah. do. But actual footage, yeah. I bet we don't have more than yeah. 20 minutes. Uh, on a personal level, I felt... Very gratified because I felt like I wanted to be involved in a lot of the staging on this. Me and TK had a lot of fun trying to locate like ways we could shoot stuff. And he's really, he's so good. He makes things very easy. Very easy. It's true. Um, all right. So let's get off of that and let's talk about uh, music. We talked a lot about films. Let's talk about music for a moment. And I had a moment uh, at work this week that I wanted to share with you guys. Did you guys, when you were growing up, high school guys, we're all the same age. Did you guys listen to Dave Matthews Band? Uh, not as much as you did, certainly. Sure. Uh, there were a couple songs here and there. I remember really liking, there was, like, when I was first learning how to play music, first getting into stuff, there was that dub, that live double album with Dave Matthews and his buddy. Where they Tim played, Reynolds. Tim Reynolds, where they yeah. played all the songs acoustic. Great album. I remember thinking that was really cool. Yeah. And yeah, I liked some of the stuff when I was younger. Yeah. Cliff? Yeah, yeah a little bit. First two records, I think. Um, I'm a little bit older than you guys are, so. Just a little bit, Are you? Though. A little bit. Right? I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. 30? No, we're, 30. we're all 30. Really? Oh, yeah. okay. I thought you guys were a little younger than I am. Yeah. yeah. Oh, because I can remember, like, Dave Matthews and, you know, like, playing baseball as a kid. Yeah. Like. My, my older sister liked Dave Matthews, which was probably the first time it was presented to me in any sort of, like, oh, look at this band sort of way. Yeah. Uh, well, the point I'm getting at is this. Uh, I have not uh, intentionally put on a Dave Matthews song on my own accord in probably five years probably longer probably longer than that maybe oh yeah um so i'm sitting at work and i'm doing some side work before the shift starts at the restaurant um and the song number 41 by dave matthews comes on over the restaurant speakers right and i was really the only person in the restaurant at the time uh and i listened to the whole song and i started thinking about dave matthews dave matthews is a band that for me during a certain period in time in my life was incredibly like formulative to like yeah. my character yeah. and you were a person. big big Dave but way back in the day like yeah. very like well, going back to like 13 14 years yeah. old yeah my sister right. it, something me and my sister sort of bonded over gave me something that I felt like my older sister who was cooler than me I was like into this thing that she liked right so it was like okay uh, maybe I you know maybe I can get into cool stuff and it sort of tied into like I listened to Sublime growing up a little bit as well uh, and those two things aren't necessarily like related they're but not far they're not too either. far away yeah. on the surface they um, don't seem like the same but when you really look at it it's a very similar thing but i got it got me thinking about bands that i don't actively dislike but have sort of vanished out of my repertoire of bands that i listen to and i have a hard time quantifying it because when i listened to number 41 when i was sitting at work i listened to the whole song and at no point in time did i say i don't like any of this this was a great song it's a well-written right, right. song yeah. it's well performed it's like tolerable and it's not overly Dave Matthewsy if that makes any sense. Um, but I don't understand why all of a sudden Dave Matthews just stopped being a relevant musician for me. Maybe I just got tired of it, but I don't dislike it. Well, and Dave Matthews has become one of those bands where it's almost a meme to like hate Dave Matthews. And, like everybody will knee jerk because I don't like Dave Matthews. People be like, why? And you'll be like, oh, well. 
And all those dudes are super talented. Like, every musician yeah, in the band sure. is crazy talented. They put on these crazy live shows from what I hear. Um, I think, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit. I think that a lot of it has to do with the culture that surrounds the band. Yes. Like, the whole, oh, Dave at SPAC. Like, I, I, have a, I have a tough time with any band that gets people so singularly into them that it's the only band they mm. listen to. Like, I don't care if you go see Dave Matthews somewhere. That's cool. He probably puts on a hell of a show. You probably have a lot of fun. But I feel like if that's the only concert that you ever go see, then I don't... I, just in growing up, like, with, you know, certain kids who, you know, went to certain, you know, schools around here, the kids that were quote-unquote preppier kids, right. yeah. that whole culture around going to see, specifically the phrase, Dave at SPAC. Yeah. Like, he's one guy in, like, Saratoga is the only place they have concerts. I think the culture, that sort of, like, broy type thing that popped up around it, is probably more what re- rebelled against than the actual music. You know what I mean? Uh, you hit the nail on the head, and I want to put a pin in it for one second because I want to tie something else. What else is new? <laughs> I want to tie something else around this. And I'm going to use another band as an example. Uh, we're going to talk about Green Day for a moment, okay? Mm-hmm. Green Day, another highly formulative band for me growing up. Uh, Nimrod is one of the first albums I remember buying with my own money. I went into Saturday Night Matinee in the Sanger Town Square Mall and bought When Nimrod. I Come Around was the first music video I ever saw. Yeah, When I Come Around. Um, but with Green Day... I have a defining moment where that band hit a spot and I said, okay, I think I've had enough. Was it the 500th time that you heard Boulevard of Broken Dreams when it was on the radio at the time? Uh, you're not far off. Uh, when I bought American Idiot, I remember yeah. going to buy American Idiot from the wall. I was working at FYE. I got my employee discount. I went out and bought American Idiot. I listened to it in my car immediately. I opened it up, put it in my CD player, listened to it. I listened to the whole album and I really liked it. I said, this is a pretty good album. Everything's really well done but I don't think I'll ever buy another Green Day album ever again. I just felt like I, maybe I'm maybe I'm missing the boat on it. It's a really well-done album. It's probably their most popular album now, right? Probably. Right? Like, overtaking yeah. everything else. They made a Broadway play about it. Yeah, but I had this point. But I had this moment, this album that I could look to and say, this is the moment where I decided, okay, I'm done with Green Day, right? With Dave mm-hmm. Matthews, that moment is not musical. That moment is an interaction. Right. I was... I was getting a tattoo. I was getting my first tattoo at Eternal Images in Utica. Uh, and a girl in front of me was laying down on a tattoo bed getting the Dave Matthews Wind Dancer tattooed on her ribs in front of me. And as I sat there and watched this girl make a real-life bad decision in real time, all I could... As you were getting a robot head tattooed on your body. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. But here's the thing. The robot tattoo that I got was in memoriam yeah, of an yeah, yeah, actual yeah, yeah, person. Yeah, yeah. It meant something to me. It wasn't just like, I like robots. I do like robots. But those two things are also... No, I, I get it. That was just a hot joke. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. Uh, but to watch somebody make this like mistake in real time, really well, like... to say it's a mistake? Maybe the wind dancer means something to that person. Yeah, day saved your life. Yeah, I guess day, day, day saved your life. Maybe it's back. Maybe, yeah, I guess you're right. maybe they, maybe they lost right. somebody. Uh, but, I mean? but I guess, but I guess that's fair. I guess you're right. That's a good point. No, I, can't I get it totally. Uh, but I guess, but that's yeah. sort of the point I'm making. Like with with Green Day, it was a musical thing. It's like, all right, right, I think I've reached the end of my rope. With Dave Matthews, I do think it really was like I just am not. A, I don't feel like a part of this fan culture anymore. No, right. Like, I think I think they're different for me because I I loved green day in a different way than i ever cared about dave matthews sure and i think a lot of it comes from you know we you sort of in like seventh eighth grade you know i'm not not certainly everybody has to do this but you and i both you know separately but similarly made a choice 
and became a little bit more punk rockers. Mm-hmm. And we got into a little bit faster, harder, a little bit heavier, just a little bit of a different kind of yeah. music to the point where we moved away from everything that sounds anything like Dave Matthews. That's even very like true. I don't listen to I mean more now than I used to, but even back then, like I couldn't I can't tell you any bands I really liked a lot that prominently featured an acoustic guitar. Right. Very true. You know what I mean? I got yeah. us into, but like the stuff that Green Day was doing, like the stuff on Dookie, that's where I was well, at. You know what I mean? And so you look at the band and the evolution of the sound of the band from Dookie to American Idiot and it completely changes, right? You've got something really stripped down and mm-hmm. pumped to something that's super operatic and they just essentially, same sound, similar ideas but a different execution mm-hmm. um and i would say i don't think anybody would argue with like maybe a more skilled and planned execution in american mm-hmm. idiot sure, sure um whereas dookie was you know the young angst i mean they were young kids when they wrote it like and i'm also gonna i'm gonna piggyback on something as well about the dave matthews thing as well uh, Maybe it's not just the fan culture of Dave Matthews. I think what drove me away from Dave Matthews as well is the other bands that sort of fell in that pseudo Dave Matthews landscape. Like I was more annoyed like a band by like a band like OAR or Dispatch than I was at a band like Dave Matthews. Like those bands also sort of fell into that wheelhouse when that was a sort of a band movement. Like that sound was very popular. I think maybe that whole expansion of that kind of sound also sort of drove me away from like that whole genre of music. Maybe. I'm so deeply pigeonholed in music. Like, I mean, I've listened to a lot of music, but I listen to so much hip hop that I miss out on entire movements of music. Mm-hmm. And mm. it's kind of like a bad thing. Like, a, you, I couldn't tell you one dispatch song I've heard. Neither could I, though. Couldn't name I don't one. Even, I barely know what that is. Yeah. Other than it's a band that you used to semi listen to in like eighth grade. You yeah. guys are okay. Don't worry about it. You All right. Okay. Miss All right. Not <laughs> missing anything. All right. Uh, something that's interesting to note about Green Day that puts Green Day in sort of a weird place something you almost forget about green day this late into their career because i think green day slipped well past the point of relevance oh my god yes you know what i mean like um green day though is responsible for one of the great all-time like american standard folk songs of our generation oh, good yeah. riddance good time riddance. of your life mm-hmm. for that song and the life it's taken on alone probably transcends that entire band as a whole it's true which is crazy that like little old green day from berkeley california has one of like the all-time great American great songs in the American Songbook. You know yeah. what I mean? Green Day is a first ballot Hall of Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Agreed. Band, right? Agreed. Like even you, before that, sure. though. Yeah, even like, before. Yeah. Dookie and Insomniac, I think, are just would never get them in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's because the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, fame sucks. In my heart. So yeah, fuck yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dookie, Dookie is an important <laughs> album for guys like me and Kevin, and yeah. I, you know, just yeah. for the what Dookie meant for, like, pop-punk music right. as a movement was important, but I don't think in general, like, the general public cares as much about Dookie as a guy oh, they're like, wrong. This is the most I've said they're Dookie wrong. in a podcast in, like, a yeah, week and a half. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong, yeah? Uh, all right, anything else we want to add to Green Day, Dave Matthews? Uh, one thing I would like to add real quickly about Dookie, just an addendum, uh, when I come around gets all the press, when I come around cannot even hold a candle and come close to being as good of a song as Basket Case is. Basket Case. So, yeah. just real quick, that's that's it. Basket Case is the ultimate, if I'm just going to pick up a guitar and start thrashing punk rock chords, I'm probably going to be playing Basket Case. Like, just that intro, it's great. Uh, also, Pulling Teeth, underrated B-side in that album. I like that she, song a lot. She was the Actually, first thing I thought. She was the she first thing I thought. She screams in silence. Yep. Welcome yep. to Paradise as well. Oh, we should cover that banger. We should, we should like, get a cover so to cover banger. Burnout, too. Burnout doesn't get enough cover credit. Cover to cover. First track, Dookie right? in general yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't yeah, get enough track. credit. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah, saying. No, you're right. We're not giving it enough credit here, I think. Let's move on. You know what? No, for argument's sake, number 41. 
the live version of Ants Marching and Grey Street are all also bangers. So if you don't feel like pop punkin' and you want to go listen to Dave Matthews Band, you can go do that too. And there was, you won't judge. And I remember one Dispatch song. It was called The General. Dude, so there you go. Nobody cares about there Dispatch. There you go. Hey, thank you. Um, all right. Uh, before we go, I just want to bring up something to you guys. Uh, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan, as you guys may obviously be aware of. Kev specifically. We've watched a lot of Seinfeld. Um, do you remember the episode of Seinfeld where uh, Newman and Kramer took the out-of-state uh, aluminum cans to Michigan to double up on that sweet, sweet 10% return? Yeah. Apparently... This really happened this week in Michigan. Uh, a gentleman by the name of Brian Everidge uh, is facing a $5,000 fine and up to five years in jail for copying this, uh, this sort of uh, can scam popularized on Seinfeld. Now, you may be asking yourself, uh, is this really a crime to do this? Uh, and why are they making such a big deal out of it? Apparently, according to the state of Michigan, they have lost an estimated 10 to $13 million a year on similar redemption frauds. And suffice to say, it doesn't seem to find the constant attempts very funny. Yo, if you can return <laughs> enough cans and make a million dollars, you should be allowed to do whatever you want. Uh, well, like, nobody should ever take that away from <laughs> they, they did say that he's probably not going to see any jail time because he really only would have made an estimated $1,000 of, like... Of profit oh, right, off of it, right. so the fine itself sort of devalues <laughs> yeah, the whole petty. thing. Yeah, yeah. But I just think I just love the fact that um, that Seinfeld is uh, is just leading the way to crimes. I just think that's hilarious. Like Seinfeld is definitely like the gateway into criminal activity. Good work, guys. We broke the we broke we broke. I always it. knew it. Um, great work this week, guys. Anything you want to say before we head out? No. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh, good. Yes. yes. I would like to um, sort of toot my own horn a little bit here. Awesome. I got a really nice... So, you, uh, Sam, you probably get this. Uh, a lot of people are very, very nice, and they say very nice things about the show. A lot of people come up like, I love the show, I listen to your show, this and that. It's nice to get compliments about the show. It's nice to know people are listening. Um, I got a very, very nice... Com- best compliment I've ever gotten about the show, about myself specifically on the show the other day, from somebody who I will say anonymous, because uh, this person submitted mailbag questions before and asked to remain anonymous there. Sure. So I'll respect that until I hear otherwise. But this person told me, like, hey, man, you know, I've been listening to your show. I, I think you have a great vocabulary. I love the way that you use it. And I think it really elevates the entire listening experience. And I was just like, and it was like out of nowhere. I was like, mm. Thank you. That's really, really nice. You got all the best words. I got all the best words. My words are tremendous. And even if I don't have the best words, I'll get the people with the best words. Tremendous words. I'll tell you, Sam, all your words are low energy. They're lightweight. They're uninspired. Words are only words. But feelings last forever. Crooked Sam. Crooked, crooked Sam. Uh, for Cliff Montoni uh, and Kevin Sullivan, my name is Sam Famolaro. We will see you at the Franklin Fair, uh, Franklin Square Film Series on July 27th. Until then, catch you next week, folks. So long.